Good morning. Welcome to the Sunday morning class here at Hoover Church of Christ. It's good to see each one of you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you've had a great weekend. Many of you have been here for each service in the gospel meeting. I know you've been blessed uh, if you were able to be here. Glad that you're here today to be a part of the class this morning and then worship at 10. We'll have a fellowship meal right after that worship service downstairs. And then we'll come back up and have an evening worship service. Our evening worship service will be at 1. So it's good to see you. <clears throat> Our speaker is Dale Jenkins. Dale is here from Spring Hill, Tennessee. Works for the Spring Meadows Church and been there for about 12 years. Married, they have two children, three grandchildren. And uh, he's been a blessing to the brotherhood in a lot of different ways. And so I'm looking forward to this class this morning. I want to go ahead and start us with a prayer. And then after the prayer, I'll turn it over to Dale. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful morning. Today we celebrate the empty tomb, the cross that preceded it. and We celebrate what that means to us, that because of what you did for us on the cross, because of the incarnation, because of the sacrifice and the resurrection, we have hope, Father, and we trust in you fully that because of that you are redeeming us and you will resurrect us and we will be like you. Thank you for what you've done in our lives and we know that there are people in our church family who are struggling this morning with sickness or with worry and anxiety, problems in work or family and we ask you to be with each person according to our own unique needs. Bless Dale in this class and in the worship services to follow. Use him as your servant to be a blessing to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Chuck. What an honor it is to be with you this, uh, this morning, and I'm looking forward to our time together uh, today. And some of you have been here every service, others of you have other things that kept you from being here, but we are happy that you're here this morning for our time together. Uh, this is a Bible class, we'll try to treat it a little bit like that. I won't ask you to talk too much uh, because uh, I don't want to embarrass anyone or anything, but I uh, will try to treat it a little bit like a Bible class and give you a chance to, to make some comments. There is nothing in the world like the church. There's nothing that God ever created like the church. It is his vehicle through which to get people from the struggles of this life to him with another group of people who are joined in the same effort. There is nowhere I'd rather be than being with God's people. And I get to travel and be around a lot of Christians and I've learned that it's such a wonderful joy to get to meet and know people who, who love the Lord. There's nothing like a Sunday morning when God's people get together to worship God, it ought to be the very best part of your week. I have a lot of good parts of my week. But the best part of my week is when I get together with other people who have the same ultimate goals and aspirations that I have. And if you're in a time of conflict in your relationship with the church, you're in a conflict relationship with the Lord. And you need to try to rectify that. You need to make an effort to try to make that right. Don't just uh, allow it to linger and go on. So 
if you were here last night, we talked about two or three very specific items. And uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to see if any of you remember anything we talked about last night. This is always extremely nerve-wracking and dangerous for any public speaker to say, do you remember anything that I said last night? So, if you happen to remember something we said last night, I know all of you remember all, but some of you don't want to comment, surely. But if you happen to remember something we said last night, what, are, what were some of the things we talked about last night? Anybody remember? The churches in Revelation. The churches in Revelation. You got the answer I was looking for immediately. Thank you. Thank you. George? Not George. Corey. You didn't tell me your name when you I came did. in. So I... <laughs> Uh, you mind if I call him George? You're George, aren't you? <laughs> All right. Okay. What else? Somebody, I heard somebody else. Thank you. And your name is? Teresa. Windows and doors. And if you don't know what windows and doors are, I'm worried about you because you should know what windows and doors are. I'm talking about windows and doors. Anybody else? Anybody remember anything else? Yes, those are the three things I was looking for. Man, so if y'all do that well today, I'll just quit. <laughs> we talked about metaphors for the church. But we talked about the churches, the seven congregations, the seven churches that Christ talks to in the book of Revelation. Anybody remember what we said about understanding the book of Revelation? Let's, I'm going out on a limb now. That's kind of what I thought. Uh, so, no, that wasn't it. Written in signs. Written in signs, okay. What else? That, that uh, it was of things which must shortly come to pass. So thank you. Very good. Yeah. And shortly means that deep definition. Shortly, right. Very good. Thank you, George. <laughs> So we talked about these seven congregations. And I'm not asking about any specific congregation, but what did we say we learned from these seven congregations? Yes, thank you, Brother Bill. Every congregation has a different personality. Now I'm not going to ask you today to think about what is the personality of the Hoover Church, because if we did that today, we would be all over the board. We'd have all sorts of different answers. Uh, I know that every time I stand up at Spring Meadows and talk about how much I love the church and how thankful I am for it and how friendly we are and how, how, how awesome I believe that it is, there are some people that said in the audience that do not agree with me. I even got an email last night after I got home from someone who, who disagrees with me on that. Not everybody thinks the congregation is wonderful. I hope that that is not your relationship with the church. As we said, I hope that if that is the case, that you'll strive to rectify that. Try to make that right. Because there's every reason in the world that you ought to love the local church. I mean, you get to be with people who are trying to go to heaven like you are. And there's conflict. There's challenges that we face. But you get to be with them. Now... <clears throat> This is not to embarrass anyone or put anyone on the spot or make anyone feel bad. 
But if you have more than one child, okay, raise your hand. If you have more than one child, raise them good and high. All right. So most of you understand this. Probably some of you who did not raise your hand will understand this. But what I've learned is that if you have more than one child, that you have at least two distinct personalities. Isn't it amazing how you can have two kids and they come out of the same people and they be as different as night and day? It blows my mind sometimes how different my two sons are. I've got a son named Andrew. He is my younger son. He's got one of those big beards. My dad hated facial hair, and I understand why I can't stand it either. Sorry if you've got some. I just don't like it. I don't get it. But he's got one. It's huge. That thing goes on and on, and it seems that he'll never cut it. And he said he was going to cut it if the Cubs ever won the series, and he didn't. He lied to me. <laughs> he's quiet, thoughtful. He's a youth worker, youth minister with the Woodson Chapel Church over in Brentwood, Tennessee. And... Uh, he would not want to get up here today and talk. What he didn't want to do is sit down with you and talk to you one-on-one. And he leads a lot of people to the Lord because he has a deep relationship with people one-on-one. And it's a beautiful thing. He will talk if he has to, but he'd much rather get to know you one-on-one. I'll never forget the day in 10th grade when he brought me, he called me and said, Dad, I got my third today. And I said, your third what, you know? That kind of makes you nervous of a teenage child. Your third what? He said, uh, several years ago on Sunday morning, you gave out little business-sized cards and asked us to write down three people's names who weren't Christians and to start praying for them and trying to help them become Christians. And today, Denny, my best friend, was baptized. That was my third. <laughs> Hard not to be proud of that. My son Philip, my older son, he's like I am. He's a little crazy. He's weird. He's different. He may be the most creative person I've ever met in my life. You put him in front of a crowd and you give him a microphone and he's happy. He is as comfortable in front of a group of people as anybody you'll ever meet in your life. He is deeply committed to the Word of God and every week at the Mount Juliet Church, where he is a youth minister, he'll have 200 to 250 teenagers in his class who came because they love the Lord, but partially because they enjoy listening to my son teach. How could you not be proud of that as a dad? But what I've learned is every child has a different personality. And what is true of children is true of congregations. And so when we helped in planning the Spring Meadows congregation, about 12 now coming up on 13 years in September ago, we realized something. We were going to have an opportunity that, that does not happen real often. We are going to get to help shape the personality of that congregation. You see, while your children have personalities, you help shape those personalities. Now, you're not the only person that did, and if your child... If you love the Lord and were committed to the Lord and your child decided not to love the Lord, they are a free moral agent and they can make decisions that you don't like. Every child will make decisions their parents don't like. Uh, it's a misunderstanding of the Proverbs verse to say that 
If a child goes astray, it means the parents failed. That is not what that verse teaches. It teaches many things, but that's not what it teaches. Children can go wrong even when their parents teach them right. If that wasn't the case, if that was the case, then God would never have a child that left him, and God has children leave him. But you did have a hand in shaping the personality of your child. You were shaped to a large degree by your parents. Sometimes you don't even like some of the ways they shaped you, but it's part of what made you what you are. And so we had the opportunity to shape the personality of the congregation. As I met with some of the folks that helped in formulation of that church, of that congregation, I kept hearing some of the same ideas over and over again. And I began to think about what would you do in helping a congregation become what it could become. And we came up with what we called the five O's of Spring Meadows. And there were five O's helped to define the character of that church. They're not superseding the scripture in any way, replacing the scripture, but they are in helping us understand, all right, what can we be in our community as a church? As we developed elders and shepherds came along, we, we added a sixth one and then the elders added a seventh one and then I said, listen guys, I can't remember anything past seven, let's not add any more. And this morning I'm going to share with you some of those little secrets that helped us become the congregation that we are. God has blessed us. I say this with boldness, but with no haughtiness. We grew from 40 people to about 500 people over a five-year period. It was a really great five-year period. Just so you know the total truth from the end of that five years, over the next three years, we grew from 500 to 275. That's not quite as good a story as the other. We corrected some things and now we run about four, 450 on a good Sunday. If you ask me as a preacher, I'd say we're 450. That's because we hit it once in the last three months. That's how preachers decide numbers. My wife says you take a number, you divide it by two and add 50 and you come up with a preacher count. So these are some of the things that helped us become who we are as a, as a congregation. And as I talk about that, I'm not asking today that you implement any of them. I'm not saying they're better than anything else, but the idea is to say, what can you do in your congregation to help it be the very best it can be for the Lord? Because the church, as you well know, I don't have to preach you this sermon, is made up of individual Christians. And one of the real keys to a church being what it needs to be is for every Christian, every individual, to strive to be better for that congregation than they are. So with that said, let's, let's get started. What are the seven O's? The first one is always the first one, is the most important one. It's the one that supersedes all the others and defines all the others. And that is one book. And that book is the Word of God. And we believe that God gave us His Word, and then when God has spoken on a matter, that decides the matter, that we don't have any right, we don't have any ability, we don't have any desire, we do not need in any way to go over it, around it, try to figure out how to avoid it. We need to just do what God has said to do. Now, I want to be very careful as I talk today not to be arrogant in this in any way. And I need to add this very specific sentence here. I believe most churches believe that. Okay? 
and, and, and while I may get in trouble for this statement, I don't believe it's just churches that have the name Church of Christ on their door that believe that. I believe that if you went to a local Methodist church or a local Baptist church or many of the community uh, big box churches that are popping up and you ask them that question, they would say basically the same thing. Believe, believe the Bible is the word of God. And that's great, isn't it? I'm not unhappy with that. I'm glad that there's still churches that I don't agree with that believe that. I'm not judging them. I'm not saying they're eternally right or eternally wrong. God didn't hire me to do that. But I am saying that if we have the idea in our minds that we're the only people out there that believe the Bible, then we're kind of mistaken. The truth is our friends and neighbors who we're trying to convert to obey the gospel, who have not obeyed the gospel, who came to Christ, they believe in a way other than the way the Word of God teaches. It doesn't mean they don't love the Lord. Our desire is to help them understand more of what the Scriptures teach. In fact, if they believe the Bible, it's in the perfect, they're in the perfect place, the perfect situation for us to sit down and talk to them about what the Bible says. But congregationally, what does that mean? Well, there's some things that specifically means for us, and it should mean for every church, I believe. It means that money does not supersede theology. In other words, it means that as leaders, as ministers, and as elders, we do not listen to the money. We do not follow the money. I heard about a church one time that told their young minister, you can't do that, whatever that was, and I won't go into it. You can't do that because it will make the people have money unhappy. If the church is ever led by money, the church will sink. God did not need money. He's already got it all. It further means that we are not ruled by popular opinion. Now this is difficult because there are times when you should listen to popular opinion. If the elders here said, we want to know, would you rather meet at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning or 10 o'clock Sunday morning? We're going to vote on it and whatever vote wins, we're going to do that. That would not be sinful or wrong. That would not be not leading. That would be wise to say we're going to do what the people want. But the church voted on, we're going to decide whether or not we believe a person should be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. That would be wrong. When God spoke in a matter, it settles it. So it means that the church is not led by popular opinion. Third, and finally on this matter, it means that the church is not led by other churches. We talked for a little while last night, not very long, about the concept and idea of autonomy. We're autonomous as churches. That means for us at Spring Meadows that we don't look up the road and do what we do because it makes church A happy or down the road and not do what we do, what we don't do because it makes church C happy. It's our job as a church to try to do what makes God happy, to try to do what pleases God. I've got a good friend in Nashville that worshiped at Granny White when I was there that used to say the way I decide my life is, I ask the question, what would make God happy? That's not a bad way to live your life. Number two, the second O is oneness, oneness. Now, I'm going to make a statement here that is not true. You ready? We all love each other here. I don't know how many churches I've been at. And I've heard somebody stand up and tell that lie. Oh, we all love each other here. <clears throat> I'm sorry. While that should be true, while I wish that was true, where we are, as Peter says, to love each other from a pure heart fervently, while it is the greatest commandment to love one another, while it is the example that God gave, he gave his son because he loved us, 
Paul is example that he loved us in spite of ourselves, Romans chapter 5 and verses 8 through 10, while we were yet sinners, we don't all love each other. Now, Chuck hadn't pulled me aside and said, Bob and Jim can't get along. I hope there's not a Bob and Jim in here. Bob and Jim can't get along. He's not pulled me aside and said that. Uh, nobody here, none of the elders have said, you know, we've got a real issue here. I don't know of any issue in this church at all. I know of zero issues. No one has discussed with me any issues. And more than that, please don't. Okay? I don't live here. I'm, I'm going back home, and I'll come back if you ask me to, but I'm not responsible for this church. But I'm aware that in every church there are people who have difficulty with each other. So what we try to say at Spring Meadows is we are trying to love each other here. And that's, to me, a whole lot better. It's our goal. It's our motivation. It's our direction. It's our plan. We want to love each other here. But at times, there's going to be conflict. And what I have found is the more deeply you get involved in the work of the Lord, the more potential there is for conflict. Because if you come in every Sunday morning, 10 or 15 minutes after the services begin, and you check out during the invitation song and sneak out, you're probably never going to have any conflict. But if you get involved in the sweat equity of the Lord's work, there's going to be potential for conflict. There's going to be personality conflicts. There's going to be ways of doing things conflicts. There's going to be conflicts that come from your past. There's going to be conflicts that come from your theology. There's going to be conflicts. That's what a good bit of the epistles are about, about how to deal with that conflict. And the wisdom of God, which Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, is so much higher than the wisdom of man. Man's wisdom pales in comparison to it. The wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God, what he does is, he gives us all the tools to handle conflict. Imagine that there's a book that's 2,000 years old, that still has all the seeds in it of how to deal with any conflict that we come, up, that we come upon. The, the problem I have, and probably the problem you have, is not, not, is not that we need to know more, it's that we need to begin to do more of what we know already. We don't need somebody to come in and say, here's how you handle conflict. We need to start doing what we already know that God has said to do. Jesus was really clear when it came to the area of worship. He said, if you hear your brother has all against you, you go to him. If you have all against your brother, you go, you go to that brother. You know who is responsible in both situations when there's conflict? Whether you're the source of the conflict or you're the one that has conflict from others. If you're aware of conflict, you have responsibility to deal with that brother or that sister. We're trying to love each other. Now, if the elders need to step in sometimes and help us out, I'm, they're willing to help us out. But the truth is we need to learn how to deal with our conflict. The second O is open, or excuse me, oneness. The, the third O is a, one of my favorite of the seven. In fact, it may be my favorite of the seven. There's another one that buys right near it. And it is openness. Openness. I don't know of any tool that we put in place in helping us try to be the church that we want to be that is as, as important and significant as the concept of openness. Here's what openness means to our congregation. It means that we don't keep secrets. We don't keep secrets. We share everything we can. If there's anything you want to know, you can know it. Now, 
part of the danger of being a public speaker is you tell more than you should tell. And one of the blessings of being at Spring Meadows is my elders know sometimes I tell more than I should tell and they love me anyway. So I'm going to tell you a couple of things. When we meet with new members, whether it's someone we baptize or someone who's moved in our community decides to be a part of our congregation, we, we tell them very clearly we, we're open here. We don't keep secrets. But then we hasten to say there are three things we keep secret. Just so you know, we're even open about our secrets. Here are the three things that we keep secret. Number one, if somebody comes to us and needs help financially, we don't, we don't get up and announce next Sunday, Brother, Brother Jim needed help with his power bill, so we helped him again. And the reason we don't do that is the golden rule. We won't want anybody doing that to us. So we don't, we don't talk about the needs of times that we help people. We're very blessed. We have a fund we set up seven years ago. It's called the Family Assistance Fund. We are like y'all. We have people that call our building. We have people that call my cell phone. We have people that, that stop by our building and they need help with groceries or power or rent or medicines or, or any one of other gazillion things they might need help with. And sometimes we're able to and sometimes we're not able to. But we have a fund called the Family Assistance Fund. That's money that is given by members of the church that is, can only be used for other members of our congregation. It can't even be used for other Christians. Paul said to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. And so, of faith, not faith, of faith. And so what we're trying to do is we try to help everybody, but we have a specific injunction to try to help those that are part of our family. Now, I know that includes all Christians, but we even have a more specific, I have a specific obligation to care for all Christians, but I have a more specific obligation to care for Melanie and Philip and Andrew and Katie and Laura and Lucas and Holly and Mamie Grace, my immediate family. So we have, we have that, but we don't tell it if we help people financially. Now, we're willing to tell we help, we're just not going to tell who. The second thing we don't discuss is counseling matters that we're asked to keep private. So if a couple comes to us and says, listen, we're having real conflict in our marriage and we don't know what to do about it, we will ask them, do you want us to pray about it as a church to make it public? Oh, no. Okay, we'll keep that private. That'll be a secret. But, if, but we're going to give you the opportunity for us to make even that public because we believe in the power of praying for each other. The, the third thing that we keep secret, and this is the oddest of the three, we keep hiring matters secret. Now, there's reasons for that. If we wanted to hire Chuck away from y'all, and we called and we met with him, and then we told our members, we're hiring Chuck, we're trying to hire Chuck, away from, we're not, okay, just make that clear. Because that's our rumor, right? We're, we're trying to hire Chuck away from the church at Hoover, there would be a connection with somebody here with the church at Spring Meadows. In fact, this morning, someone came to me and said that they're kin to one of our wonderful couples at Spring Meadows. Every congregation has connections, so we won't discuss hiring matters publicly because that does not need to happen, for, not for our sakes, but for the sake of the people that we might be talking to. It's not Chuck we're talking, we're talking to Kyle. <laughs> That's not true either. Okay, so those are three things. Openness. Outside of that, we're open about everything. If you want to know, uh, you know, what the preacher makes, we had a member come to the elders not long ago and want to know what every person we have on staff made. And the elder just said, here's what Dell makes, here's what Jerry makes, here's what Larry makes, here's what Susan makes. And the guy said, you mean you just tell us that? He said, you ask? We're open. If you want to know about a decision the elders made, we can talk about it. Anything you want to know. We don't keep secrets. 
Now that may not always work, but for 13 years it's worked for us. And what I have seen, and it's mainly, primarily people who are my age, who are from my age category. And I don't know if the 60s did it to us, or our parents did, do, did it to us because of the 60s, or if Watergate did it to us, I don't know what did it to us, but somewhere along the way, Americans in general became extremely suspicious of all people in authority. And I work with churches on a continual basis. And what I often hear is, well, the elders are doing stuff we don't know about. And I want to let you in a little secret. And it's not a secret your elders told me. They don't have any great plan on the drawing board that they're keeping it as a national secret. They've got briefcases and secret IDs and someday they're going to spring it on you, okay? There's not a Trojan horse they're going to roll in here and open up and little demons are going to jump out or whatever's supposed to jump out of a Trojan horse. I'm not sure. The elders aren't keeping secrets. Every church I've ever been a part of, people think the elders have this great master plan of secrets that kept behind some locked door. In fact, a brother wrote a book in 1986 called That Door with a Lock on It. I bought it and I thought that's just the most interesting title I'd ever seen at that point. And I read it and his theory was that, that there's this door with a lock on it that's where all the secrets are kept. Man, I wish it was. I wish elders had all these plans and dreams and ideas that they just can't share with you and maybe your elders do, but they don't. They'll tell you what, they, what you need to know. So what we have learned is that we have to communicate on a regular basis that we are open that we have to tell the members that we're not keeping secrets. If you want to know anything, ask anything. If you want to know anything about us as a church, you ask. And somebody says, well, you said it once, that's fine. You shouldn't have to say anymore. No, we say it over and over and over and over again. Because if you don't, people start beginning to think that there's some secret going on. Openness. The fourth O, and the second most important O, is Outreach. Jesus came so that people could be saved. He gave his blood so people could go to heaven. He purchased his church. He purchased us with his own precious blood. There's nothing else that's more valuable. There's nothing else that can redeem us. Only the blood of Christ. And everything the church does must beat a direct path back to getting people to heaven. And if it, you cannot draw a line from that activity to getting people to heaven, you need to stop that activity. Everything we do needs to lead back to getting somebody to heaven. Now, sometimes that will involve missions, people a long way away. Sometimes that will involve what people have called through the years edification, helping encourage people who are already Christians to keep alone the way to heaven. But most directly, the marching order of the church is go into all the world and preach the gospel. And whether you look at Acts chapter 1 or Acts chapter 22 or Revelation chapter uh, 5, regardless of where you look, it always begins where you are. It astounds me how simple it is for me to go to El Salvador or India or the Ukraine or Africa, Tanzania, and to talk to people about Christ. And I come home and I sit in a coffee shop 
and there's someone sitting right across from me, how difficult it is to talk to them. But everything we do as a church needs to be about outreach. How are we reaching our community? Who are we trying to impact? And I want to challenge you today to realize that that is not, hear carefully, that is not a corporate charge. That is a personal charge. There's a sense in which corporately the church cannot reach anyone. Okay? If the church is to grow, it takes you talking to people who are not Christians. How do you do all the stuff we've talked about? Well, man, marketing schemes are great and wonderful, and ideas that you put your logo, if you've got a logo on things and hand it out to people are great. But it all comes down to Susie asking Jill, are you a Christian? Do you want to know why I handle life like I do? Or I see you're struggling in your life. How can I help you? Or listen, we're having an event at church I'd like for you to come to. Having a window event. Would you come to it? It all comes down to a personal thing because the church, in a sense, corporately can't do anything. It's what we do individually. And it's not the job of a paid staff member. If that could be hired out, wouldn't it be marvelous? But time and experience has showed me it can't be hired out. It's individual Christians. And our little church at Spring Meadows has grown not because Dale's a good preacher or not because we have this good marketing plan. Our little church has been blessed because people love it enough to tell people about it and they love the Lord enough to tell them about Him. And that's the only way the church grows. Anything else isn't true growth. Outreach. Fifth O. And I told you I had two favorites. This is my second place favorite, okay? Outcome-oriented. Outcome-oriented. Now, don't tell anybody that's two O's, but uh, it's really just one in my list. Outcome-oriented. What we are trying to do is, what the challenge is in churches is we start something, and it doesn't matter how bad it is, we don't know how to quit it. Okay, so be careful what you start. So we start something and because we love the person that started it, they were our great grandparent or because the person is still in that church and we don't want to hurt their feelings or whatever other thing you want to add to that, we don't stop it because we don't want to offend somebody. And it doesn't matter how much people dislike the program, you're going to keep it going. So a few years ago, I was with a church, and we had an annual end-of-the-year singing. In its heyday, it would bring together between 1,000 and 1,200 people. When I came on board, they would have five to 600 people. And I looked around one night as we were singing around 8.30 or 9 o'clock, and we had 18 deacons in that church. One was there. We had five elders in that church. One was there. And the next week, I asked, why do we still do this? And you know what they said? Well, we've been doing it for 43 years. That is not a good answer for why to do something, okay? In fact, that might be a good reason to not do something sometimes. So what we try to do at Spring Meadows is, and we tell people anytime we instigate a new program or start something we've not done before, we're outcome-oriented. If you're going to get your feelings hurt, if this doesn't work and we decide not to do it anymore, we're not going to start it. 
If you do not understand that every six months to a year we're going to investigate everything we do as a church and we're going to ask the question, should we keep it, should we change it, or should we stop it? Then we don't need to start it. We'll investigate everything that God has not told us what to do about something. And so, I love Bible classes. Love Bible classes. I've gone to Bible classes all my life. I've taught an adult Bible class almost every Sunday for uh, for 37 years now. I love adult Bible classes. I love teaching Bible classes. I love being a part of Bible classes. But Bible classes are not mandated by the New Testament. Are they allowed? Yes. But God did not say you have to have a Bible class to go to heaven. Okay? He did say you have to worship on the first day of the week. You have to worship. The Bible class isn't required. So our elders investigate. Do we still believe Bible class is the most effective way to grow our people spiritually? At this point, the answer so far has always been yes. At times, we've tweaked how we do it. We talked some about that yesterday morning. If you weren't here, you can ask someone else about that. But we, we changed how we did it a little bit. But we still have Bible class every Sunday, every Wednesday night. Not long ago, our elders polled the congregation. Our services have been at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night since we started 12 years ago. We have a lot of young families in our church. During the school year, it makes it difficult for some of them because apparently children go to bed at 7 o'clock at night now. I don't have a clue how that ever happened. I'd like to know how that happens. But it happens now. I've got grandchildren. It happens. Do we want to change our services to 6.30? So about a year ago, we changed our services to 6.30. This Wednesday night, our elders will review a survey they did the last two weeks that says, have we liked what we're doing on Wednesday night at 6.30? Do we want to change to 6? Do we want to move back to 7? And they'll, they'll investigate that. What are they doing? They're being outcome-oriented. Is what we're doing working? Is it not? And there are things we're not going to discuss. We're not going to discuss whether women can preach or not. We're not going to discuss whether a baptism is the way that people come into contact with the blood of Christ or added by the Lord of the church. We're not going to discuss the worship of the church and the idea of bringing in instrumental music. We're not going to discuss some things that God has been relatively clear on. We're not going to even discuss them. They're not up for discussion. God settled those things. We're not going to discuss how many songs we sing. We're going to discuss how long the service lasts. We're going to discuss whether we sing old songs or new songs. God had mandated any of those things. Every old song at one time was a new song. We're, we're going to discuss everything that God has not mandated. We're outcome oriented. And as we tell every new member, that means if the elders ever decide we're tired of Dale and we're ready to get a new preacher, if we investigate that and we think we don't need him anymore, he will move on happily. <clears throat> and I pray that's the case. <laughs> and I have committed that it will be the case. That when they say it's time for me to go, it's time for me to go. And they'll be fine with that and I'll be fine with that. And we'll love each other still. Outcome oriented. Everything you do. Why are you doing it? Is it working? Is there a better way to do it? Some things you're doing that aren't working, there's not a better way to do it. And it's not necessary to quit them. Say, so, well, I wish there was a better way. We just can't figure it out. But if you're open about it, some pe people will even accept that. That's the fifth O. We've got four minutes left according to my watch. The sixth O is ownership. Ownership. I was sitting in my, uh, what works as my office at the church building a while back. We were having a meeting of a group of preachers. A guy arrived early that I did not know very well, but he had one of those jackets on. 
you know, those really ugly, ugly jackets. I mean, it was horrid. I couldn't believe that they let them out of the house in it. It was orange, and it had a T on it. <laughs> the only thing would have been worse if it had any blue in it. <laughs> I told you my goal is to offend everyone, okay? I'm an equal opportunity <laughs> offender, all right? And we were talking about football. Now, some of you are immediately angry. He's talked about football now. It's a sin. No, there's nothing sinful about football. Well, there probably are some things sinful about it. Some people worship it, not talking about my own state here. But we're talking about football. And he was sitting across from me, and he said, I don't know what they're doing there. Talking about UT. I don't know what they think they're doing. The coach they've got is not any good. They need a new defensive coordinator. They need a new plan. I don't know what they're doing. And then I said, <clears throat> we're pretty happy. <laughs> we, we got the best coach in the nation. And we won last year. We're probably going to win this year. We're good. Now guess what? Neither that guy nor this guy had ever played on a college football team. But did you notice the distinct, the distinct differences in the way we described our teams? He used they and their. I used our and us, we. Anytime we start describing the congregation of which we're a part of as they and their, we're in trouble with that congregation. This is an us and we thing. Every time we talk to new members, we tell them, congratulations. In becoming a member of this church, you just inherited a $2.1 million debt. You can write a check now or you can put it in every week as time goes on and we'll pay it off. But you're a part of that. And if there's a problem at church, it's a problem we have. It's not a problem they have. And we need to work out how to solve it. And if there's something good going on at church, even if I'm not an immediate part of it, we are doing that. We get to be a part of that. If you hear something good about the church, it's we and us. It's not they and them. This thing of ownership is a beautiful thing. And there's nothing unbiblical about it. Paul will talk about it some. And there is a seventh O. And I cannot remember it for the life of me this morning. <laughs> Ah, I got it. The seventh O is opportunities for service. Opportunities for service. We do not believe, nor do you believe, that God saved people to sit in a pew and do nothing. In fact, we believe, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that God has set each member in the body just as it has pleased him. And in that text, it's talking about the functions, the work of every part of the body. So God put you in the body for a purpose. And I'm going to preach to you just a second or two because we don't have much time about that. You have a fiduciary responsibility as a Christian to do more than just sit. You need to use your skills, your gifts, your abilities, whatever word you're comfortable using there, to promote and help the kingdom of God be a healthy body. And if you are not, you are handicapping the body of Christ. 
Now, that doesn't mean you need to do something big. That doesn't mean you need to stand up next Sunday and preach or lead singing. You might need to, but it does mean you need to be able to say, here is what I am contributing to the body of Christ. Every Christian has that responsibility. And if you do not, you are a part of putting the body of Christ in a wheelchair, of keeping it from being what God intended it to be, of making it not function as best it can function. The church is a living organism, and it is to be going forward and doing things that impact this world for the Lord. We tell people, we will let you do anything that God will let you do. Okay? So if you're a man and you're not married and don't have kids, we will not let you be an elder. Because God won't let you. He was clear about that. If you're a woman, we're not going to let you stand up next Sunday and preach because God was very clear about that. But if God will let you do it, we'll let you do it. Now that's dangerous because sometimes you get people who try to do some things they can't do and they can't do well. But what we found out is for the most part it all works out as we strive to be the servants God wants to be. I thank you for listening today. My time is gone. I don't see any children running around yet, but I'm told I was supposed to finish at 15 till. Now let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Father, we are thankful for this day and for your love, and we pray, Father, that you bless us. We thank you, Father, for your word and may it guide us in all that we do and all that we are. Father, I pray that you bless every person in this room. And if I've said things, anything today that's been offensive, I'm I pray that you'll help them to grant me grace as you've granted all of us grace. Father, forgive us when we fail and help us to be the best for you that we can be. I pray that you bless this good church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.